0: Welcome back to It Starts With You podcast with me, Mark Hopkins. And this podcast, think about this for a second. What if you were a candidate or a hiring manager or both, and then you become a recruiter? What would come of that? Well, this podcast is about James Lewis, who is exactly that. He was a IT contractor and he was a hiring manager at one point as well. Um, And he's turned into a recruiter and has created a little tiny bit of a movement or trying to create a movement called the anti-recruiter. In his podcast we talk about everything um regards to that quality of recruitment his his stories about when he was a contractor and his experience with recruiters and this has kind of led for him to create his own recruitment agency and i take my hat off to him because that's a fantastic way to start you know what the problems are and let's start solving them and we talk about starting with the why IR 35 and a few other things as well at the same time um super interesting podcast i hope you enjoy and i'll see you on the other side take care Hey Jamie, how are you doing?
1: I'm great, thanks. How are you doing?
0: Not too bad, mate. Not too bad. So, tell a little bit about yourself to everyone, who you are and uh, what you're doing.
1: Yeah, so I'm Jamie Lewis, uh, founder of FireLily uh, Limited. Uh, we're a recruitment company, um, pioneer of the anti-recruitment uh, movement. And primarily, um, and slightly flippantly, our goal is to remove the world, uh, rid the world of recruiters. It's kind of my little tagline. Uh, obviously, we're not looking to kill anyone, um, but just based off of a kind of long period of frustration. Uh, my background is is an IT consultant, work for yeah. sort of multinationals, multi-billion-pound organisations, uh, working on sort of very large data centre infrastructure, cloud such um, projects. Um, going forward, um, I'm looking to try and at least make a bit of a dent in the recruitment industry from a positive mm. perspective. Even if it's not me that ultimately comes up with the solution, I'd like to be part of the movement to to make that happen.
0: Yeah. So let's start. Let's start with that. Let's start, because that's a big title: is anti-recruitment. Um, a lot of recruiters <laughs> listening to this are going to go, "What?"
1: <laughs> so, <laughs> so, what? To see you next Tuesday.
0: Yeah. Let's put some. Let's put some history into this then, and, and where it started, sure. and, and kind of how it works. So, you used to be we chatted about this. You used to be a project engin- uh, sorry, project manager within the IT world. Um, contractor right is that was that your mean yes yeah,
1: so i've done various roles so i started my i worked my way up through the trade um you know everyone pretty much starts on the help desk uh, worked yeah. my way up through support roles into project roles uh then did solutions architecture pieces uh, a bit of pre-sales so i did have some exposure to the other side of the fence there um and then i moved into more management so most i kind of split my career into two halves first i would say most of my interaction with the recruiters would be as a candidate the latter yeah. part would, would be as a hiring manager. So yeah, project manager Ooh. roles, head of infrastructure, head of infrastructure and security, uh, for things like private healthcare, universities, um, mm. various like, ha- ha- housing associations. There's no real single industry that I've worked in, but yeah, it's again, been... half of it was a term yeah. and half was contractor.
0: But it's been the general consensus of the type of agencies you dealt with. Doesn't matter which sector you've been in, as in like housing or IT infrastructure. Mm-hmm. The, 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 the common factor that's kind of frustrated you, from my understanding, is recruiters.
1: Yeah, and, and, and not personally. I don't have a vendetta against anyone no. individually. But, but in terms of, yeah, my, my experience as a candidate and a hiring manager, and I'm not just exaggerating, I've never had a good experience dealing with a recruiter for anything. Wow. Um, and I mean that's, that literally. And
0: it's amazing that you say that. It's amazing. you so, so there's never been a time where you've actually thought, wow, this guy's good.
1: No, I mean, no, I've had times where I think I like this guy, you know, and I right. go for beers with them and things like that. But in terms of are they competent in what they're recruiting for? No. Um, do they know the business that oh. they're recruiting for? No. Do they go and meet the client? No. Have they met me? No. You know, so there's wow. lots of things that from an interpersonal point of view were very frustrating. Um, and then that's when I started to talk to friends. Oh the contractor community is quite close-knit so you you tend to you know you yeah. make a lot of long-lasting friendships and it's, it's very widespread and that's when I started to think about well could I do anything better I know absolutely fuck all about recruitment from a starting <laughs> point so you know yeah. two years ago I started to look into it a little bit more uh, tried to learn the craft a bit uh, mm. that's how I came across yourself and yeah following you know josh harrison mitch sullivan and some various other oh, prominent people
0: per- perfect people to follow to learn about <laughs> <recruitment>. josh harrison <laughs> definitely mitch sullivan which is a good friend of mine he's a really good guy really good guy i need to get him on this podcast actually i haven't done it yet um but yeah i mean i, I mean it's a difficult one and whenever i speak to people that have bad experiences with recruiters and they, and they you know the, the negativity they have about them i feel really upset by it I, i'm not obviously physically upset by it but i'm just upset no. by it um, because it, it is a great industry to work in. But you said yeah, you're not qualified it, to be a recruiter. You are, in essence. Everyone's qualified. to done recruitment. Yeah,
1: in terms of like, that, I give a shit. I think that's probably yeah. the strongest thing. that like, I actually do care yes. like, about yeah. what I'm doing. Yes. Um, but in terms of from a sales and marketing point, my background is very much an engineer. Um, yeah. very, you know, I'm very comfortable in that environment. But So I'm learning my craft in terms of sales and recruitment um, on that side. So, yeah, it's, it's, that side of it is very much new to me. Yeah, um, but um, yeah, so as I say, it's nothing personal, no vendetta, and I, and I have a lot of respect for the sales component of a recruiter. I think they're probably one of the highest caliber salespeople that I've come across because they do have to pretty much put every hat on to achieve those sales and maintain those clients. But then it's that next step where they try to vet very technical, specialized people without any background. In. That's a bit that. Uh,
0: that was going to be one of my questions, actually. Now that you've climbed over that fence and you're on the other side in the recruitment world, are you starting to realize why it's like that or are you still questioning why it's like that?
1: No, I, I could understand it previously because I understand people have quotas and KPIs and everything that they need to achieve. I just I don't see how it's completely incongruent to achieve sales whilst also treating people with a little bit of respect. Yeah. Um, you know, like, and I get it. If you get 500 applicants... I'm not expecting you to go and take everyone out for lunch and say, yeah, sorry, you weren't successful. Yeah. Um, fair enough. So the, kind of my approach to that would be anybody that's pumped in an application, if it's just at that stage and you're not successful, an automated email is usually fine. Yeah. If you've had a phone call with somebody or you have shortlisted them, but you said, yeah, I'm putting you forward for the role, at least let them know with a phone call how that went.
2: Mm. But
1: there's so many times you'd never hear back from that person. You don't know if it just got thrown in a bin or yeah. whatever. If you've met with somebody, or you've actually gone to an interview, the very least is to have a little chat with that person and, and explain yeah. the outcome, give a little bit of feedback. But honestly, you'd be surprised, or possibly not surprised, the amount of times that you literally get nothing. And for me, that, that hmm. isn't, that's not difficult to fix.
0: No, um, it's not. I'll be honest with you. I respond to every single application I get. Um, it is an automated yeah. email, and if it's the candidate's CV is close to something, or or I need more information, then they get a tailored email from me that, that asks questions around that. But my yeah. automated email is, is I created it myself. It's free. You can use signatures, drop down your signature, and add that automation, and then just hit go. Or um, I've created Zapiers where drag and drop a, an application into a box, and it sends off an email automatically yeah. rejected um there's yeah there's fancy ways of creating html and, and stuff like that you can get into all that technical part of it but it's not a complicated methodology at all
1: <laughs> No, and it's such a bugbear for so many people it's obviously the phrase ghosting is has been candid you know around it so oh, it's, it's a big bugbear for people um in the industry and it, like i say it really shouldn't be that hard to fix but for some reason it, it, it isn't um, and, yeah, so that was one of them in terms of sort of the motivations to try and do something different. Um, yeah. There's also a bit of a feeling amongst contractors that um, – and I've, I've personally experienced this, that um, a recruiter will literally get your CV, pass it on to the client, and then mm. not be involved at all from that point onwards. But you might be in a contract for two years, and they get, you know, 100 quid a day off uh, your day right.
2: rate. yeah.
1: And you yeah. think, well, you know <laughs> – and I had this myself personally. I was in a contract for over two years, and I never even met the contra- uh, the recruiter. Never came down to get me a coffee, never came yeah. down to just say hello. He didn't even meet the client, which was the bit that baffled me. You know, you at least want to yeah. bust yourself up against the person paying the bills. But
0: yeah, you yeah, know, the, just- that stems from the biggest problem with that, where that stems from is um, massive contracts like PSLs and master Vens and stuff like that, where the agency wins a contract to supply contractor staff into that company. And. Yep they then appoint an account manager or um, a resourcer or someone um talent acquisition is the newest title of being called and and all they do then is put bums on seats and the follow up and the, the next level stuff is ignored because they're paid very cheaply they're paying like yep. 18 to 22,000 a year they live in london they can not afford to get to work and um they yeah and and they don't see the job more than just putting bums on seats um and that's where then I think personally, companies lose massive contracts. I've seen it. I've seen many yes, companies.
1: It happened. Yeah, yeah. So this was a. I won't name them, but you have yeah. heard of them. One of the big ones. Yeah. Um, they had actually managed to get this company to outsource their entire HR function and recruiting wow. functions in house. So it's probably quite a bit of money.
2: Yeah.
1: So all of the contractors, all of the hire firms, automatically went through this company. Um, and then during my two years there, they were replaced by other companies just because of how rubbish the service was. But, you know, they had a massive foot in the door. They probably were making money, decent money, and just because they didn't really service that client, then they ended up losing probably quite a decent-sized contract, um, just Yeah, so it was that, um, and like I say, talking to friends, other contractors, people in the industry, other hiring managers, uh, IT directors, just sort of getting a feel for, is it just me? Am I just a bit of a moony dick, or is it actually a wider problem? Um, and I, you know, looked on forums, and you, you see these the vitriol, like hundreds and hundreds of pages of people frustrated. Um, and I can only speak from the IT IT industry. I don't know recruitment outside of that, so it might be different in other industries like yourself. I but.
0: I mean, it's not. If I'm honest with you, I think it's it's becoming a, a um, quite. In some sectors, it's becoming the IT sector being the biggest one. It's becoming yep. a huge, huge problem. Um, I've only worked in IT sector a couple of times in my career. Most, not, nearly all of my experience is, is engineering, manufacturing, kind of industrial, that kind of level of stuff. Um, yep. Where I have touched in the IT sector, um, companies like Fujitsu, Siemens, and stuff like that. You know, I've, I've done some project managers in that kind of arena. And whenever you pick up the phone and talk to someone. And actually have a proper conversation. Suddenly, you're their favourite recruiter, and I just thought it was my personality. Now I'm starting to realise it's because no one else does that. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just be a nice guy to them, and it was it was quite interesting. But I took I took all that into the manufacturing industry, and, and you know the, the only way to survive in this industry is to do what you say and don't be a dick, basically in this industry. So,
1: hundred percent.
0: Do you know what most have yeah. gone? I was going to say, I, that, that's probably where we need to go. Sorry, you carry on, sorry.
1: Yeah, so all I was going to say is that, in, sort of ironically, every time I was, because as a contractor, you deal with a recruiter every three to six months, you because know, you, you never want to get to your extension with no options. So you yeah, tend to true. sort of feel the market out every three months. And every time I did, it was always motivating me again to think, yeah, I, I, I'm definitely doing fire early at some point. And that kind of went on for two years. Um, and as we spoke about yesterday, there's a lot of, as you know, you know way more than I do, there's a lot of regu- reg- regulatory and compliance things you have to go through to just sort yeah. of pick the boxes to become a recruiter because nobody wants to fall foul of the GDPR stuff. But, um, so yeah, so literally going for contracts and every time I'd get an automated bounce back to say, you know, you haven't been successful whatever, I would always, as a, as a sort of, you know, religious process respond and say, you know, there's only feedback you can share just for my own sort of development. And um, some of the responses you get back are just shocking, like I had, the same woman from a major recruiter replied to me on two separate occasions just to openly admit she hadn't even read my CV. What? And I just thought, what, what do you mean? And she said, well, I, I managed to find my shortlist in the first 20 CVs. And I was like, okay. So what if the perfect person was in like number 21 yeah. position? You know? And you just think like, you haven't even read it. And then I said to her, know, yeah, that's not amazing practice. And she said, well, you know, I'm busy sort of thing. And then it happened again with the same recruiter three months later. And she'd obviously forgotten me and said the exact same thing. You know, sorry, I managed to fill my shortlist. Um, the client was only going to receive three. Um, and I think, well, okay, is that the industry <laughs> in? We just pump over the first sort of semi-matching CV that looks like it might just about fit the criteria. Wow. Um, I wish I could find my mind.
0: candidates for a job. I really do. It's extraordinary <laughs> that she's able to do that. That's amazing. Absolutely amazing. I think IT just- is
1: saturated, though, isn't it? I think in terms yeah. of... Yeah. I mean, I've never been in because obviously I've been a hiring manager and you get CVs soon. and I've done it direct, I've done it through recruiters, and you do get, I do feel for people, you do get a good 60% of people that are never going to be even close to matching the role. You know, I've had landscape gardeners apply for a <laughs> yeah. data center a design architects, and you just think, well, at least go for a junior, and maybe you can perhaps sort of sell the transferable skills thing, but go for a senior role, like really. Yeah. I know. You know, so yeah, so I understand that frustration, but. Yeah, it just blew my mind. Um, you know, and I've had other, other, you know, you could go on forever with the anecdotes, but the, there's oh, no. other, other guys. That, I went for a role um, with a big insurance company down near Readingway. And um, I was, you know, they, they sell it as if you're the absolute unicorn candidate that, you know, you're going to be definitely a shoe in. Um, and I never heard anything from him. And then three months later, the same person rang me up and had completely forgotten me and pitched me the same role. <laughs> For the is... same company and he still put me forward so Do you know but this is back on that one
0: <laughs> but this is it though
1: you,
0: they may forget you but you as a contractor or oh, contractors we don't general...
1: forget no we're elephants no. we we remember everything and i've actually said this has happened to me i when i was um head of infrastructure at university in london um i was absolutely shattered on by a recruiter in terms of the way they t- treated me and then literally six weeks later i was then head of infrastructure at this university and he was put per- somebody who was on the psl and he was trying to, there was three. So we had to choose every time between these three different uh, recruiters. And uh, he came in for a meeting and I explained to him at the time, you know, do you remember me? And he's like, no, no, I no, I don't think it was met before. And I explained the situation. You know, we spoke again, you know, four weeks ago, six weeks ago. Um, and he, he was just absolutely awful in terms of, you know, he, he, we went through some roles together and he, i got the same treatment about ghosting. Um, yeah. Yeah. But yeah, same thing again. I just had to say to him, look, I could never use your services because, of the way you treated me as a candidate, I couldn't possibly want to, you know, propagate that service further. You know, so it, it, hopefully more people get the opportunity to do that, to recruiters. Um, but yeah, yeah, I've always said, you know, candidates become p- potential future clients um, yeah. and I don't understand why people don't get that. Like you, you, if you're treating someone like shit, even if they're yeah. currently just an engineer, you know, not saying not just an engineer, You've but somebody be careful. who is hiring people, yeah. they yeah. know, someday they might become a manager looking for people, and they're not going to forget you.
0: Well, i got a very similar answer to that. I worked for a company many, many years ago. Um, No, I wasn't working for a company. Apologies, no. I went for an interview many, many years ago for a company. Oh, yeah. Um, And uh, the manager was a dickhead. Absolute dickhead in the interview. Really horrible person. I think I was in that interview for about 40, 45 minutes. And at one point of that interview, I was questioning myself and my own sanity while I was there. And he's been really horrible, really jiby, very personal about my CV, but personal about myself as well. Um, and I just thought, oh, I, I don't think I could work it. He actually offered no. me the job. At the end of that, um, and I was like, "No, I, I, I don't want the job." Roll on about five or six years later, and for some unknown reason, he decides to contact me on LinkedIn to ask me my opinion about the market first of all, and if I oh. could help him because I had some connections in certain companies to help him to get him into one of these companies. I was like, "No." <laughs> 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 no i'm not gonna do that because you were yeah, yeah. very nice to me i know you offered me the job but it, it was it was more about you know you know that saying how people how people make you feel when you, you know, it's not what they said to you it's how you make you feel isn't it oh, yeah that's and, what you
1: remember isn't it that's what you remember
0: and and that's exactly how i felt as i walked away from this manager i felt you know i could never i didn't want to know anything about him i just yeah appeared out of bloody nowhere and connect, and tried to try to pull a favor is that the right word to use um yeah. i offered you yeah i offered you a job once yeah. yeah, wherever it is. Um, yeah, it's was, it was, it was fascinating how, how people do that. And I seem to find it more so in the recruitment industry than anywhere else that this happens, this level of cheekiness.
1: No, 100%. I mean, I've had other ones. So the other big bugbear for me was things like non-compete clauses. So I think the thing that also frustrated me is, is the way that recruiters act as if it's and they, they, they call it their client, uh, but it's a mutual yeah. client. You're both working to solu- solve solutions for the same person. Um, you know, me being technical solutions, recruiter trying to to solve uh, resourcing solutions around projects and things. um, So we're working for the same client. It's a mutual client. um, And I've had it with, um, there was a private healthcare organisation I was working for. And it was weird. We had two conflicting contracts and I was good friends with the IT director. So he was open enough to sort of let me see both sides. Um, And I I was also aware of, you know, what what the markup was on my day rate, et cetera, et cetera. So um, I had a contract that said, Uh, If I left the contract for 12 months, I couldn't go direct. Um, The client had a contract that said after six months, they could take the contract on with no penalty. Uh, So completely conflicted contracts, And I don't know how you can get away with that in law. Um, So I went direct after six months. The agency was made aware of it. Um, And then because I think they were expecting me to go direct perm, they weren't happy because I went direct contract. Yeah. Um, and so they then went and tried to ask the client for three months of my day rate in order for a, like a transfer fee, which obviously the client said F off yeah. you know, they're a big <laughs> massive private airline company. They got, they got their own legal department. They, I don't think they were intimidated. Mm. And instead of just going, actually, is it worth losing a big client for the sake of one contractor? Um, Cause they weren't going to get any more income from me either way. I, I mean, it was a horrible, horrible agency that just kept, they, they kept missing my payments and things. So it was, you know, not, not on really. Um, so I was going to leave either way. So there was no extra income going to happen. Um, but yeah, they sued, they sued the private healthcare company um, over me. Um, and I think they lost. Um, but yeah, it was just, I think, would I ever, for the sake of one contractor, burn a bridge oh. with a billion pound private healthcare client? And at the time they had multiple contractors that all got binned off. because. Yeah. Of, and you just think, It's a short, yeah. It's
0: it's totally short-sighted, and I've been, I've seen this a hundred times before. It's not new. It's, it's something that I first of all I can't get my head around why it happens. I bend over backwards with some clients just to keep them on, on. You know, for me the best type of business is repeat business is longevity relationship yeah. and the longest relationships i've had with clients i've had as it's like a it's almost it's like a snowball effect it gets better and better as the years go by and you just do the simple Yeah thing. 100% do the right things, you get more from that relationship, and it's not just recruitment. It's in any type of business. Like if you were selling cars, and your customer keeps coming back, they'll get better and better cars from you because they trust you. And it's the same mm-hmm. thing. I don't understand this short-sighted. Oh, look, there's one contractor. They're writing us see the shit out of that company, so we get get a how much did they got? Probably about ten grand, if that. So they so they gain ten grand to lose millions. Absolutely. Yeah, it- it, it's, it
1: honestly blew my... And obviously, they never used that, that organisation again from a recruitment perspective. Um, and yeah, for the sake of, you know, a few few grand, um, burned a big bridge there. So, you know, so these experiences have, have shaped my opinion yeah. of the, in, in the recruitment industry um, from a sort of in hiring manager and candidate perspective. Yeah. Um, and I just thought, you know, there's got to be a better way. And I spent two years racking my brain trying to think of, you know, what's the next Uber disruptive way I can disrupt the recruitment industry. And I just thought... Does it need it? Does it need to have a disruptive moment? Is it, is it that no. or is it just let's treat people with respect? That's it. That's exactly it. Right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, and, that, and then I thought, fuck it, it, let's go. Like, why, why am I Stop. waiting to have this epiphany yeah. um, when it isn't that? And I, I think 80, 90, we talked about this yesterday, 80, 90%, I think, of the things that piss people off, you'd fix with just treating people with respect. Yes. And, I don't, it, doesn't, and I, you know, it doesn't need to be more complicated than that. Um, and, no, you yeah, fix it,
0: of- and you fix it with, with very simplistic systems as well put into place. And I'm not talking like physical, mechanical, electrical systems. I mean, as in your attitude towards people yeah. is one of the things you need to solve. And, yeah, it's, it's coming into it. So with, with, with the movement that you're creating or with the business that you're creating at the moment and, and, and moving yep. it forward into the future, uh, have you got a list of things that you're going to start doing that other recruiters haven't done? um and if so have you got any examples of clients that are starting to see the benefits from that yet
1: so and yeah i had this I, so i've been reaching out to various people and people have reached out to me and and, uh, and as you probably know when you start a business everybody's got an opinion on it yeah um so I'm, I'm getting some feedback some of it's very positive some of it's critical one of the things that was critical was what's different what's unique about your business yes um and i found it it was interesting but in terms of fundamentally as a function I'm still going to be at the short term putting people into a role to help solve a problem or a solution for a client and in exchange for a fee. So in a fundamental sense, I don't this, think that's the bit that's broken. So that's not the bit I'm trying to fix. Mm. The bit I'm trying to fix in terms of the anti recruitment movement is kind of everything else. How do you layer and wrap that service?
2: Yeah. What are you
1: going to treat that person like? How are you going to treat the candidates? What is your primary motivation for dealing with that higher manager? Is it the money, or are yeah. you genuinely interested in caring and trying to help fix that solution for them? And that's where I'm coming at it from. It's, I'm not as fussed about the money. Um, and we talked about it yesterday. I've put myself deliberately in a position where I've offloaded the house, the car, I've put a shit phone, I'm yeah. not going on holiday. Let's
0: talk about this. Let's talk about this because I, 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 I love it when I hear people that sacrifice a shitload. For a for a belief, for a dream. Yep. Let's talk about this. So, you used to you you were in really good wage, when not you? Being a IT contractor, you were in a, a, yeah, six a,
1: figures, 100, 150 yeah, regularly, without too much fuss and hassle. What
0: was the catalyst that made you think? Right, you know, what, I'm going to give recruitment a go and leave all this. Was there a moment that you kind of went, oh, you, you know, that's that's the reason why? Or is it?
1: Yeah. 100%. So, as I said, it's been kind of bubbling under the surface for a couple of years, and I have been progressing. I've got a website knocked up um, mm. and, and sorted out all the sort of techy stuff, get a certificate, sorted out my GDPR and all the sort of paperwork yeah. on the REC, all the stuff that's boring, but realistically, you kind of have to do in the background. Um, and it's always just been something, oh, yeah, I'll spend an hour on the weekend if I get a bit of time. Um, and back in November, I was in a contract, probably the most I've ever earned, financial services company. And I was literally waking up in the morning hoping I was ill that day, physically ill so I couldn't go into work because I hated it so much, uh, dreaded my work. And I've kind of always – and this is how I sort of fell into contracting was I've got a rule. If I start to dread my job, I leave because life is too short. Yes. Um, And and I've ended up leaving quite a few jobs, if I'm honest. But, but yeah, so in terms of that, that was kind of the catalyst in terms of there's got to be something different. You know, I'm earning decent money every month, but the majority of it is going to service a fancy car, a nice house, you know, big bills, I've got a massive OLED TV, all the silly things in life that we think are important, but they're not. Yeah. Um, I was spending out the majority of my earnings just to service a lifestyle and I was deeply unhappy uh, doing it. So I thought, well, and actually at the time I didn't directly think, okay, I'm immediately going to quit everything and start recruitment. It kind of, things have happened sort of organically. So I basically woke up one day and just thought, nah, I've had enough. Um, I'm going to serve my notice. Mm. Um, that particular client, I'm not a massive fan of. They basically didn't take my notice. It was four weeks notice. They basically canceled the contract. The next day and didn't pay me. So it wasn't, wasn't an amazing time. Um, oh, but God. after that I, yeah, yeah, not amazing. So I had a holiday book already and paid for to so go to Colorado to visit some family. So it was a month chance for me to just clear my head. Um, came back mid Jan and that's when I just thought, you know, I'll start doing a little bit on fire Lily and I found actually things, seemed to resonate with people people were interested in it I had a lot of people reach out to me and say you're definitely onto something I don't yet know if you've got the solution per se but you're definitely onto something keep going keep talking to people keep collaborating keep thinking and then I think you're going to stumble onto it um, and get that thing going so that kind of was the way it sort of panned out and then I thought well from a mindset perspective I was thinking that I'm still an IT contractor who's trying to do a side hustle and I, then I started to shift that. I think, no, I'm not actually going to get another contract. And
2: so yeah. this,
1: is, this is now my plan A, and I'm going to keep going with it. And like I said, fortunately, financially, I don't, I'm not rich at the moment, don't get me wrong, but I can afford to, to not have to feel pressured. And I, I see a lot of people talking at the moment on LinkedIn about burnout and pressure and the pressures of being a, uh, you know, a sole trader, single, single person in a business. I, I don't feel quite as much of that pressure because none of the bills are dependent on me at the moment, which is... Yeah, a nice place to be, to be honest. It's horrible. I've been the sole, the sole income person for a long time, and it is a pressure and a burden. It's huge, isn't um, it?
0: It is. It, it is, is. And, and that's when the thing when you start a business. A lot of people don't realise this. Is is you know? I saw some advice just quite recently given on LinkedIn saying have three months worth of money to cover you, and I'm thinking, mm, I think you need a lot more than just three a months. A lot more
1: than three months. Yeah, yeah. I, I think three you need months more, is minimal. Yeah,
0: yeah, three. I think three months is it's kind of the litmus really when you get to three months and you think right is this working you don't you don't need to have made money by then but if you have well done and uh, lower
1: your costs i mean yeah yeah yeah. between the two you know your cost to earnings ratio should be such that you could afford to have a bad six months at least nine months you know so that you're not thinking oh shit i've got to get something in the door and also you don't want to take those clients that you wouldn't normally take or that that job you wouldn't normally want to take on i was
0: just going to get to that because the moment you start feeling desperate you start making desperate moves and i've done it i've I've had i've had a couple of bum months and the client came and you know said oh we'll do it at 10 percent, and i was like yeah cool and the, the greatest thing I learned, and I, I, th- I think I was telling you this yesterday, wasn't I? The greatest thing I learned over the last four years is the, the clients that don't respect you as a recruitment agency and respect what you can do, and um, the value of what you can bring for for the rate that you charge. And the reason was why we charge those rates. We could come to another time, but um, mm-hmm. those the, that's when problems start. And for some unknown reason, every time you used to take on a job below your standard charge fee problems would arise always mm-hmm. problems would arise, and then you start realizing that you're working for nothing on some of the roles that you picked up um yeah and, and and you know there's there's no incentive to continue it and that's contingency recruitment i get that but when you're you know you're looking at your bank balance and you're thinking right i need money in the business as soon as possible you start making desperate and, and bad decisions um so you've got to focus yeah, 100%. so if you can those
1: low budget high maintenance clients unfortunately tend to be the ones you, get, you seem to get early on in your small business i mean from an i did an it support yeah. business many, many years ago and but, it was always these people that had left their current it supplier for some unknown reason yeah uh, probably been sacked off to be honest because they're a pain in the arse. but they were always the ones that were willing to give you a shot and it's like okay i'm gonna have to tolerate you up until the point where i could perhaps afford not to but yeah. it'd be nice to be in a position where you could go yeah let's perhaps Let's see how it goes for a little bit, and then maybe we maybe we don't work together. Let's see how it goes. But yeah, from a recruitment point of view, obviously you can't do that. You're you're in a, on a sort of single transaction basis um, to begin with. Um, That's right. That's yeah, right. it's frustrating, isn't it? I mean, it, there's no yeah. I think
0: there's a reason why there there's a lot of them. Oh, sorry, they, you kind of meet them early on, is because yeah. they are <laughs> low value and high maintenance, and and I would probably say twenty, thirty, forty, maybe a hundred agencies have passed through there. In the last six months to to twelve yeah. months, and and you just happen to be one of them. So it's identifying as the is kind of the important part of that. Um, and sadly, that's that comes. You know, e- even on the other side of the fence, when we talk about recruiters are bad, um, and there's some really shit ones out there. There's equally as bad clients and equally as bad candidates yeah, yeah. out there at the same time. It's it's
1: oh, 100%. And I was going to say actually about hiring end <laughs> because. It sounds like an attack purely on, on recruiters. I think recruitment agencies have a lot to be responsible for in this process and also hiring managers. You know, in terms of engaging in the process, giving you a proper brief, you know, you can't just tell someone, oh, yeah, give us another gym. They're like, well, well I didn't recruit Jim, so how do I know what you like about Jim? What does Jim do well? Jim's mm-hmm. just one person. I can't give you another clone, you know, so give me a decent brief. Because um, I've had this from other departments, you know, so I haven't been the recruiter, if you like. But from an internal recruitment function, someone has come to me and said, oh, I need – another infrastructure analyst and you say okay well what sort of person are you looking for and 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 you you just think well most people don't seem to know or see the value in a really good brief will lead you to a much easier and smoother recruitment process so hiring managers I don't think do themselves any favors yeah Um, and also yeah I've I've had that same thing with candidates as well I've got friends who I say friends previous colleagues um, who I've kind of just chatted to and just sort of if i've been in an organisation that was looking for someone with their skill set i might sort of say look are you in the market for looking and on a couple of occasions not loads but a couple of occasions they've actually been offended they've yeah. actually got a bit out of their pram and i think well you know fuck you mate i'm i'm offering you an opportunity here like yeah you know just absolutely bite my hand off so yeah, it just baffles me that i think you're never going to please everybody in that in that scenario and that's
0: and i, I agree with that and i think the place where the quality needs to start happening and the, the the you know where where things need to start moving in the better direction it can be us recruiters we can facilitate that better way of thinking the better way and by asking for better job specifications but walking away if we don't get them and think well, about
1: that's, that's exactly what i was about to say in terms yes. of my current position if somebody isn't willing to engage in what i can differentiate myself with so i i don't want to be in a in a situation where I'm taking on a client and all they want to do is fire me over a five-year-old job spec who hasn't even been looked at um, and they don't want to talk to me on the phone they don't want to meet me they don't want to let me speak to their team there's nothing I can add value in that scenario so what's the point they might as well go to one of the big ones um, mm. and just pass yeah. through a transactional relationship so 100% agree with you and that's that's where I'm going to have to be strong in my role and just say look no if you want to engage on me you need to engage in the way which yeah this is the process how it's got to be because otherwise you might as well just piss off down the road to go and see one of the big agencies and pay their fee and you know have a pretty shit experience Yeah, um, it just goes my i had a job once for a um it was for a fairly large organization that had just been bought out by time warner cable and it was a vmware consultant role yeah so i didn't almost didn't apply for it um but i did i thought Fuck it but the actual role said vmware and um SQL so database administration and I had nothing, no background in database. So I've, I applied for it because of the VMware side and I spoke to the recruiter. Oh, and he said, Oh no, don't worry, ask an old job spec. There's no SQL required. So I think, well, I literally almost didn't click on this job in the end. I got it, but I almost yeah. didn't click on it because it was just a lazy job spec that included SQL. <laughs> and I think, well, you nearly put off yeah. a potentially a decent candidate just through lazy job specking. Um,
0: and that, and that yes. and this is yeah this is where this is where i'm saying we can facilitate that co- that quality a lot better with better job specifications yeah. i went on mitch sullivan's course a couple of years ago but two years ago now i went on that course and, and even to this very moment in time you know where i'm writing adverts i still remember everything he said and, and kind of following this process um, before i had an idea what he was going on about on social media. But it's mm-hmm. it's true, you know, you you're still going to get a lot of rubbish when people apply for jobs because this is the nature of job boards, the nature of the beast. People just yep. look at the job title, they look at the salary, location, and apply. They don't look at the job bump itself. However, that's mm-hmm. not what it's about. You want to get some good quality people coming to your applications. They don't always sit there and and apply for every job. Some of them are in jobs happy. And they're just having to flick, flick around what's going on. Oh, look at this job I just found on social media. It's having a look at it. And it engages with them because it's written truly well. And like you said, you, how many other candidates didn't click on that job that you applied for that thought the same as you? So there's an opportunity, yeah. massive opportunity missed there for you as a recruiter to find the great candidate that's going to work really well at your client and your client's going to be happy. And then you, you, you it's yeah, it's really strange isn't it there's like an entire science behind recruitment and yet people are just doing it like the basic you know chemistry set from toys arrest kind of way you know what i mean they're not yeah actually
1: and, certain, and, the, and the guy that um and he was Plain being size. helpful i won't <clears throat> i won't say he's not but the one that was sort of querying what's unique about my business he he was also the same person that was talking about we're selling people we're selling someone a person and i don't agree with that and we talked about this yesterday that You're liaising with a client to understand what their current payments are, their needs. And as a collaborative effort, you're trying to come up with a solution, which may end up being an additional resource, either as front fill for projects or back fill for BAU, in the most case scenarios from IT anyway. Um, So I completely don't agree with that. We're just selling people sort of malarkey. And I think that attitude is possibly part of the problem that it's, it's, it's not really a person there we're just we're just selling a, a product you know it's just going into a business uh, whereas for me it's much more important that this is someone's career their livelihood um, it's a business they're trying to achieve projects it is way more important than just popping a person on a seat um, in a transaction so that's that's one of the fundamental things that I, I I feel differently about in terms of the business
0: That's amazing isn't it it's amazing so with, with the uh, anti-recruitment movement, you created a group, didn't you, on LinkedIn quite recently?
1: Yes, yeah, so I've, I've got the hashtag. I mean, I I must say, I'm very new to LinkedIn, so I'm learning as I go in terms of things. But yeah, anti-recruitment is a hashtag, and I set up a little group, um, the purpose of which, and I, and I, I have to say, um, and we're both fans, I think, of Simon Sinek. And he, he talks about, you know, starting with why and working your way out. And um, he, he's got a bit of an anecdotal thing about Martin Luther King. You know, it wasn't the I have a plan speech. It was the I have a dream speech. And I kind of feel the same. I'm not walking into recruitment saying, well, I am saying almost everything's yeah. wrong. What I'm not saying is, and here's my solution to fix everything. What I'm saying is I want to start a collaborative effort. It may be that ultimately... Um, I collaborate with various other organizations to come up with a better way of doing things. I might invest in some technology if it's around um, or a different way of doing things. I'm just opening up a debate, trying to start the movement and get people involved. So the group on LinkedIn was more about, you know, let's talk. It doesn't have to be hundreds of people in there, but some decent, relevant people that give a shit. Um, And I've already had a few people like yourself join. And I think there are already existing solutions out there that are doing good work i don't think they're holistically or comprehensively fixing everything but i think we're a lot of people are coming from the same sort of genesis or starting point Like we all feel that there's something not quite right about the industry um, and i think together we can potentially come up with a decent solution yeah um, and yeah. as i say it might be that it's a collaborative thing like maybe i use another business for a certain component to to help improve the service or uh, there's a technology that emerges um, i mean we were yeah. talking yesterday about ai and things I think we're probably still a way off before, you know, a robot's going to read me and check my pupil dilation and tell me if I'm the right candidate. But it's it's interesting that that's developing. I just don't think that that's going to be the panacea. I I,
0: I still think eyeballing a CV is the best solution. Um, People, and this is just from experience, I mean, 15 years in this game, people don't write good CVs. And that's not their fault, no. by the way. It's just the way we see a CV as, a, as something, as a barrier um, in some people's minds of getting a job. So they, they try to do it as, as quickly and as effective as they can without spending enough energy and time in their CVs to make them truly effective for what they need them to
1: be. Um, well, and that, how many of your CVs do you reject based on basic things, would you say? So simple uh, things that right. could easily be corrected. I and mean, I'm talking like spelling formatting um, None. None. basic I, stuff that you think-
0: Yeah because I deal with engineers um, and a lot yeah, of them yeah. let's say, let's say an engineer that's a welder or a fitter fabricator their strongest points mm-hmm. is not going to be spelling um, yes no, this no, no, spell check no. this you know the spell check on computers and stuff like that they can use but then there's grammatical errors that sometimes some of this stuff doesn't pick up so, yeah. so what you find is is that you can't beat a person about what they've put on their CV because what you're looking for and what the clients are looking for is skill and ability to do that job, to hammer that piece of metal or to drill a hole in something. Um, Mm -hmm. or, or even to the point where, you know, they're they're not going to have a personality either. Um, that is going to be like a sales engineer or like a manager or something like that. They just want to clock in, clock out. That's all they want to do. And the client needs someone just to do a job. So that's how they meet. Um, where I, I do reject people is when they, they don't have the skill and ability and experience to do that job. Um and
1: how do you vet that? Because on my calls I can quickly talk through experience and you can kind of verify verbally yeah. what, they, what they can and can't do. How do you do that from a sort of mechanical so, and engineering perspective? So, so
0: this is a really good question that is. So I have a process that I call, um, sorry, my mobile's gone off. So I have a process I call 55% rule. Okay. So, Most CVs, like I say, are written quite badly. However, the core information on most CVs is is there on the CV. And and, um, what people don't do, is they'll write their cv plonk it on reed or job site then they go start applying for jobs now most jobs have a variety in every sector there's a job that has and you say this earlier on about a certain part of a job spec that you didn't have so you weren't going to apply for it and that's the same with yeah. other jobs as well you know fitter fabricators there might be a process in that manufacturing thing they've never done okay. um or they have done but they didn't put it on their cv so the recruiter would reject them because they didn't see that on their cv so because their, their cvs are not really well written and they don't have all the information because for some reason everyone's told people to stop writing long cvs um they, they miss information now so what i do i get a cv and if it looks about just over halfway there of what what the skill set is i'll engage with the candidate and have that conversation and Mm -hmm. I tell you what, the the amount of people that say, Oh, yeah, I've done that before in so and so company, or I've got that skill, and it's not even written on the CV. You can't, yep. Honestly, you you have to, and this is where you have to, as a recruiter, take responsibility for that because it's par for the course. That's what's going on in our sector. Um, People, uh, you know, they've got. Bills to pay. They got families. They got problems. They got issues. They got health. You know what I mean. Cars broken down. Writing a CV and writing every freaking detail in that CV is is not their thing. But what I do say to candidates is, take your job specification, and then sit down for half an hour, and then try to make sure your CV covers that job specification as much as you can with your experiences and abilities that you have uh, have done. So like an answer and question session, really. And you see the question.
2: You know, it
0: needs to have um, AutoCAD experience, and then, yeah, I I have been designing blah, 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 blah for for. And so it, it's not difficult to We 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 tend to write our CVs in the past tense. And we need to start writing our CVs more in the future tense and what we're capable of doing into the future at the same time. So it's, it, it does need to pro, a 50-50 process. Got to show that we've done it, but equally, what are we capable of doing and what other skills we've got to bring to the table. So that's how I do it, basically. That's how I match people's CVs um, that apply. Um, well,
1: that kind of leads into the... Um the contentious topic of the ats side of things because there is technology out there you know talking about existing solutions um i use something called jobscan.co it's a website it is paid for but there is a free version you can trial and it basically does what you're saying in a more automated way so you can take your cv or resume if you're in america and compare that with a job spec and it will give you a score but not only the score but it will tell you why you've got a shit score compared to what the ats the um Is it application tracking system?
2: There
1: you go. You know, I'm learning. (laughs) It'll tell you why your score's crap. Um, And some some of the things that come back are stupid, like um, the lack of pluralism. So if you use um, a singular form of a word instead of a plural, they've used the plural in the job spec. Sometimes that can affect – it's really stupid stuff. But for me, the shame of it is that I think people should write their CVs how they would want the hiring manager to read it, Unfortunately, the hiring manager won't read it until Correct. at least a, a recruiter and/or an ATS has been through it as well. So, I, I like to see a bit of humility, um, honesty yeah. in my CV, uh, but you don't see it. It's always, it I is, believe, I'm punctual and I can yeah. do this, and it's very much formulaic. And you could basically just bin off yeah. everybody's personal statement because it's the same as every bloody other person's. But it shouldn't be. That should be where you get yeah. to shine. Yeah. And like you say, they might not be good at breaking down and distilling everything they've done in a role, but they yeah. can tell you about what they're really like as a person, that their kids are so important to them, the reason why they want to get into the industry is to do X, Y, Z. Um, right. Actually, I'm still struggling in this area, but I'm 100% willing to learn and develop. I'd love to see that as a hiring manager, but all you see is I'm punctual and I believe that I can do X, Y, and Z really well and I think I'd be an asset to your team and yeah okay great thanks that tells me nothing about you
2: but Um,
0: i think i think the the the, the biggest issue with it all is there's so much information out there about how your cv should look but they're all saying generalistically the same thing but no one's reading that information so what they then do is revert back to what they were taught in school by teachers in the most probably wrote one cv in their entire life and now telling you how to write a cv for your entire life and yeah. And, I, and then when you go to the job center, the job center says, oh, have you got a CV? Yes, I got a CV. No one looks at it no one looks at the cv and says oh mate you've got to sort the cv out Um, they bring in people to do these cv courses and stuff like that sometimes in the job center but if you're a i don't know say for instance you're an administrator and you've been out of work for the last six months the problem isn't the fact that your cv is the problem the problem in fact you're an administrator and the market's saturated with administrators and that's why you're struggling to find a job so Mm -hmm. we need to look at more how do we get you into a job into something that there's available now for you rather than let's just keep plugging away at this administrator cv do you see where i'm going with that it's, it's... yeah,
1: yeah. And, and that actually touches on what you know in terms of one of the things i'm doing differently i'm, I'm a, a big believer in that it's much it's a bit like when you're trying to look for a new girlfriend if you've already you know got interest from other people it boosts you up you've got confidence you seem less you know you're more relaxed mm. in front of other people it's easier if you've got no job or you've just been made redundant it's definitely much harder to get a role. I've, I've been between contracts before and struggled a little bit, but if I'm in a contract, I can't back them away quick enough. So for me, one of the things I want to do differently is I'm going to insist as part of all of my shortlists that at least one unemployed candidate will be included in every shortlist. And that doesn't mean just picking someone off the street, but the most skilled and qualified unemployed person will at least be included in that shortlist for everyone. And that's, part of the thing I, I just think we need to be helping that side of it for and i'm not saying like i said i'm not just picking one at random or somebody who isn't qualified giving them unfair positive treatment but if yeah. they're qualified and they've got relevant experience i will have a portion of my shortlist that will include those people just to give them more of a chance and i, I just think yeah. there should be more of that in the industry
0: do you know it's funny you should say that whenever i get a situation where um I got a couple of good qualified candidates. Then the candidate comes out of the woodwork that has got a phenomenal personality, very positive outlook, has some sort of how can I put it, some sort of skill or experience that is is quite cross ferrable into another industry or into that into that particular role. And I'll put them there, and I'll actually call them the wild card. I actually say to the client, "This is the wild card, card candidate." Yeah, I like that. Um, interview them. I may steal that yeah honestly I Interview them and the ones that interview them come back to me and say oh, we're blown away by the wildcard which we, we actually don't know whether we should whether we should go for a skilled experienced person that's been a bit worn away by the industry and has some disgruntled feeling about the industry we might go for this wildcard guy with a fresh perspective um i'll be honest with you I haven't placed all the wild cards i've ever put out <laughs> there but, no, but, but you do get two or three give of people them. a chance yeah yeah you do get two three, three but you've got to use your And this is where sector experience because we were talking about this yesterday when we, when we first ever spoke was i'm from the engineering world you're from the it world we've got a sector experience we understand what the sector looks like and what jobs look like and if you haven't got that sector experience then you, all you're doing is cv matching aren't you that's all you're doing
1: yeah and perhaps a little bit of do i like him or her you know which is not really the full picture but i mean i think i'm very much similar to what how you sound that you approach it. I like to get on the phone as quickly as possible. So I look at the CV, I check out the, am I seeing at least something of a picture that I like the look of? And then I might shortlist probably way more than I would in terms of a proper shortlist, but for people to call, I'll have a follow up list um, for when I'm calling guys and I just want to get on the phone. How do they come across? Are they nervous? Um, Can they talk the talk? Would I put this person in front of a client? Are they going to be more of a backroom person that's more comfortable in front of a server? Because uh, you could probably imagine, IT—they're not all, you know, gregarious, outgoing, no, friendly but... people. There's some quite, yeah, um, you know what I'm trying to get at. There's, there's some people that love to be in the back room just playing with code. And there's other people that like being in front of clients. Yeah, top, exactly. They're not so, always the same the same what,
0: thing. What I always find with, with any sector that I've worked in, the people with personalities that are quite gregarious and quite outgoing and, and kind of go get kind of guys. I'm not saying that an engineer sitting in an office designing something or fixing something or writing code isn't that type of person, the go get type person. I'm pretty sure they are. Um, but some personalities suit certain jobs really, really well. And some of those guys that are, that are like that do end up somewhere like sales or management or client facing Mm -hmm. or you know jobs where their personality will be used as an advantage Um, so yeah you're going to have jobs where people don't have personality at all and And,
1: and they are rare I mean you know almost unicorn in terms of that Venn diagram of are they shit hot technically and are they also personable Um, I mean I say I've never had any real sales experience but I mean I did for two years I worked for a managed service provider and My role was the person that would go in with a director uh, as as the techie when clients have threatened to leave. So I would go in and I would have to redeem the situation and try to sort of just reassure them that, you know, some of the data centre outages were beyond our control and these are the reasons why. And you've now got me on the case, kind of like the wolf from Pulp Fiction, you know, going in to fix the problem. So that, I guess in a way that's a much harder sell when someone's already served notice on a contract and you're going in there to redeem it. And I've never lost a contract. I've got everybody back from the brink um, just through actually delivering on what I say, you know, you go in there and you, you don't make too lofty a promise, but you do an achievable promise that you'll get something back on track and you do. And most people seem to respond to that. So yeah, yeah just to sort of, you know, in terms of, that would probably cover a little bit of sales, I would say in terms of a, a challenging client, but, um, so, yeah. yeah, I love to get on the phone to people, talk to people. And the amount yes. of times that I've seen a sort of borderline CV, and then you get on the phone and they're fantastic, and you just think, yeah, I'd, your energy is amazing. I'd love to have you in front of a client, or you yes. could be a great person to have around the office for morale, you know. And I, and I had to get them in, and they were, they were great. But the CV, you know, you could, you could, you could flip either way on it. It wasn't great. Yeah. Um, and the other side, I've seen absolutely amazing CVs that made me feel like a complete Luddite. <laughs> <You> know, <laughs> yeah. how has this person slept and got all these qualifications and all this experience and yet you talk to them on the phone and i said you know basic stuff like oh could you just talk me through the process you'd go through to um i don't know start building a domain which is how you authenticate your computer and um they couldn't even get me beyond the start menu you know click start go here they Jesus. couldn't do beyond that and i think well but you've got like 20 major organizations that you've apparently done this for and you can't get me beyond the start menu. Like, my dad could go beyond the start menu. You know, it's, it's, it's not that he's not in IT, and it's not, it's not that hard. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah, so it just blows your mind. I think you have to get on the phone. You've got to talk to people, and not just – the CV is a great starting point, but it's not the be-all and end-all.
0: You say you don't have any sales experience. That's 90% of the battle, Getting on the phone. The rest of it, it yeah, is I'll, just having a conversation. You know, you could have all yeah, the I'll, techniques and tricks and try to do Jedi mind tricks on people, but at the end of the day, it's human-to-human <laughs> contact. That's all it is. It's like, uh, and, uh, and you just put yourself across and how you are, who you are. Um, you know, people just want to hear. it's a
1: generational thing, though, because, I mean, I'm not old, but in terms of when I worked on help desk and help desk management and things, people would much rather send someone an email and wait two hours than just ring them. And I used to say, look, you, you have to ring this person before you email. Mm. I don't mind you following up and say, oh, I just tried to call. you drop me a line when you're back at your desk. But at least try. Like, cool, talk to them, Because that person that's pissed off that their printer won't work or whatever the issue is, most yeah. times out of 10, they just want to know somebody's on the problem. I'm yes. on it. Yeah, I just exactly. want you to know I'm working on it. And even if I, I mean, there's times when I wanted to pop out to the lunch or so. And I just ring the client and say, look, I'm just going to be away from my desk for half an hour, but I haven't forgotten you. I'll be back. And they love that. It's just the basic pick up the phone. But people don't do it nowadays. They want to just pop an email across or text someone and just say, you know, here. You know, <laughs> yeah. Your business, but.
0: And that's that's the thing. And I think I think in some some companies or some places you can't get through to certain people anyway. And an email sometimes mm-hmm. changes it all around. I think I think it's using your tools in the right way. I think, and, mm-hmm. and that's the important part because some, sometimes emails work better than phone calls. That's that's. Fact, i think sometimes yeah of course exactly and and it is what it is sometimes with some companies um but yeah i think you've got to use everything you have got to use as much as you, as what you've got a phone and an email um social media or whatever kind of newfangled gadget that comes out at the time um you've got to use them all you've got to use them all you can't focus on just one but you've got to use them <laughs> it's the important well, part isn't it really if you I'm come
1: it. from a place of authenticity and you're genuine yes i mean i feel a bit like bat because I'm not trying to make a buck here and I think you're the same you're in it for genuine reasons you want to help people you like working with businesses and helping them to achieve solutions because of that I don't feel like even if somebody tells me to piss off I'm not interested I'm not coming from it from a sort of negative rapacious place I'm coming from it from a good place so I don't I don't feel as bad about reaching out to them on email or LinkedIn or phoning them because I'm not I'm not just in it to take a buck from them I'm trying to help people out and perhaps if they don't see it fair enough but yes. i think the majority of people will be able to detect if you're just there because you want to take some money out of their wallet
0: and, and i'll be honest with you i speak to to clients and they say to me straight away are you a small business and I, I go yes then i want to work with you and they're a huge business themselves and oh, wow. just straight away they they instantly know that i'm in it to 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 you know my name is important i'm not read yeah. i can't take a beat enough one department and then the rest of the departments are doing okay you know they can afford to do that you are you yourself you're, so you've got to be mm-hmm. you've got to have high standards you've got to have good quality uh, of methodology of approach and you, you you've got to be and, and say what you're going to be at the same time you're going yeah. to be that person you're going to and you're going to so this is where it helps i find is that you've got to be yourself. You can't pretend to be anything else. And if you're yourself, it's the most natural person to be to become. Um, so do yourself, do mm-hmm. business as yourself. And I find that people align yourself, align themselves to you, then um, because they see themselves in yourself and, and they believe in what you believe. This is going back to Simon Sinek. People do yeah, business yeah. with each other because they believe in what they believe. Um, and, and, that's, and that,
1: and literally that video is why I stopped trying to think of the specific solution because it was just it was immobilizing I wasn't getting anywhere because it's more than just me it's bigger than one person it it, it and that's why I just moved on I had the right intention I've got the why and we'll figure out the the what and the how when we get there but yeah, yeah, you yeah. don't need to, do you, you don't need to,
0: yeah, it's, uh, you, honestly, you remind me of myself when I first started this business four years ago, I didn't want to go out and change the world, I just wanted to do, and I said this to you yesterday, just do one thing different to everyone else, that's all I did, mm-hmm. is one thing different, um, and I felt that, you know, for the last four years, looking back on it, I, I, you, you do lose the vision a, a few times, because business gets hard, and, and you know, that's just life at the end of the day, but you've got to remind yourself why you're doing it. You keep going back to that why, and 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 kind of doing that thing that you that really drove you. Why you you sat in a a room on your own for most of the time trying to make money, but you're not you're doing it for that why, if you know what I mm-hmm. mean. So so the the where and the how, that's that's easy to solve. That really is easy but to solve.
1: You know, quite a lot of recruiters been in the industry a while, and you know, there's things like your the recruiter's arms and various other things like that, and. Tutti t Recruiting was another thing that I came across when I was doing my little bit of research. Yeah. Would you say recruiters on the whole are quite self-effacing? They laugh at themselves. They, they, they get that they are seen in a quite negative way, but pods. I mean, how do you think recruiters <laughs> see themselves? Yeah, in a, in there's, there's, there's
0: pods of it. There's pods of it. The Recruiter's Arms was was initially set up as, as um, a connection between all us recruiters have one thing in common: is that we've we've experienced some bad stuff in our in our careers, um, and that was this, to to basically try to rectify that bad things where people can openly talk about um, being a recruiter, the problems they have, and how do they solve them. And it's been going for about three four years now, and um, it still has a core. It has got. It used to have quite a few people in there, but we've got it whittled down to a core people, and we just banter and get on oh, recruitment. Over the eighties and nineties, was taken way too seriously. It, they 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 put themselves in such kind of high standards um, that it was doing the adverse <laughs> to what was going on and mm-hmm. and people were just like, like you're saying, you, know, you never, you ever met any good recruiters or you haven't had any good experience recruiters because they're taking themselves way too seriously. They're not have, they're not showing personality. They're not showing um, that they're human and they make mistakes and admitting to the mistakes they make. And that's where, things like like you know mitch sullivan pointed out and and i tried to point out josh harrison pointed out uh, whenever he's around i don't know where josh has gone uh, and a few and, and the recruiters, arms we tried to point it out a few times and, and uh, there is pods of these these groups of people that still taking themselves re- really seriously and um, but what you see and um, what you notice in the industry then is these people that take it really seriously their businesses don't last they fall apart uh, recently a company went bust and people were well allegedly people were trying to steal the computers because they didn't get paid commission because that's the, the environment they created was yeah. strict feeling kpis and heavy kind of driven whereas the crew is doing well and have longevity in this market uh Showing personality, showing humbleness in, problem, in problematic situations uh, and being human and understanding that, you know, finding a job or filling a job is
1: enough, really hard to do. So, so are you yeah. think the sort of nefarious practices that we've all come to joke about? Are they systemic? Are they encouraged by the company? Or is it a result of the pressure that's put on the recruiter to deliver you know, X, Y, and Z by the end of the quarter or the month or the financial period? What, would, what do you think is the driving force behind those practices? Money
0: money's the driving force behind all of the practices like that. So at the end of the day, they want to make a bottom line for whatever reasons they've mm-hmm. got. I've worked in companies. I've been interviewed with companies where money's talked about more than actually how do we do this job. Um, and, and that's the problem. Money's the outcome of what you do how do we do it how do we make you know if you want to be making money in any industry or in any kind of situation you've got to have a product you've got to have a service you have a you know something that you can base that off to sell to other people yeah. um when you go into these agencies and they've got a huge amount of kpis and, and they've got bad managers and, and, and um, systemic issues within the company wherever that issues are tends to stem all from the fact that they have a frustration that they're not making enough money. It's never enough money. So there's always a force um, put onto people. Also on top of that, and this is just my personal opinion, we're bringing in youngsters into the industry and then getting them then to put um, people that have been in, in been, like for instance, in the IT sector, people which are, have, have been experienced for 10 years, and then making these youngsters make decisions that this person's qualified for another job. Um, I I get why they bring youngsters in and train them up. But that, to me, is probably subject to failure into the future, in my humble opinion. Because what you're going to get is burnout very quickly because they're going to be pressurized to 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 make money as quickly as they can for that company but they haven't learned anything along the way. So they don't know what that engineer is doing or they don't know what that that HR person is doing. Um, And and I never understood why you want to put um, an inexperienced person in front of a client who's going to be paying you for a service. I never understood that. I never understood that. No. So I've always thought recruitment businesses need to push that business development client facing scenario more up the line towards the senior level of people or more experienced people to, to take that. Whereas the, the um, um, forgive me for saying this, the younger inexperienced people coming into the business have less pressure of making money and more time to learn that trade if that makes sense. Are you,
1: are you talking about new, like new business development or the vetting process of candidates? Uh,
0: everything, everything. I right. think, I, I think to, to, to have a, the other thing, coming can be back to kind of any company longevity and retention in a company is brilliant for your company. If your company is yeah. churning 80, 90% of consultants um, out the door, then what are you learning? Nothing. What, where's the quality? Where's the relationship building? Where's all that gone? Mm-hmm. If you have a group of people building those relationships and then you have a group of people then learning how to fill those jobs or you have a group of people that can fill those jobs then teaching others to fill the jobs, then what you've got then is a, is a team that works very closely together that will make money. Um, so what I'm trying to get to is that I think sometimes the 360 degree recruiter, as we call it, is a a job that's, Um, very difficult in this industry oh
1: yeah and that's fundamental actually to one of the things that i think is completely incongruent about a recruiter is trying to be a salesperson and also service and manage accounts that are already existing developing new business and also vetting candidates
0: correct it just blows
1: my mind so one of the things that is my sort of key tenets is that i've completely separated off the sales and account management function I'm, i'm pretty comfortable with the same person doing those things uh, but the actual vetting of candidates will never be done by the same person that does the actual sales. Somebody with technical expertise and a background like myself, or as I grow and build out into different departments, different parts of IT, they will be vetted by people that know their shit. It, it, it just, I find it personally, I'm not offended easily, but if somebody's talking to me and they're trying to dis- differentiate between me and another senior person, and their previous job experience was A-levels, bit of three weeks at b and than recruiter uh, yeah that for me it just blows my mind it's the same with politicians I posted about it a little while ago for me they're the same a politician shouldn't come straight from Oxford or or wherever and go straight into that as a career mm-hmm. the better politicians I've ever come across are ones that have had a life before they've either worked in industry they know their shit in terms of like the manufacturing industry or they worked in mm-hmm. in business or they have some life experience to bring to that thing and I I, I feel like the same thing is true with recruiters you're so much better if you've had a previous life that you can bring to your recruitment function than if you're straight out of school, you've got no industry experience, you're yes. dealing with like, in a, I wouldn't dream of trying to vet between two engineering in your field candidates, I would have no fucking clue how I could, I would perhaps pick the person I liked the most, that's the best I could do. But in terms of the nuances and the, and the technical background, I wouldn't even dare to try to vet between those two people because I've got no experience in it, but it happens every day. And that to me is one of the major reasons and one of the key, you know, in terms of what am I doing uniquely it might not be unique, but it is certainly different to have somebody yeah. who knows their shit talking to you.
0: This is it. And, and I've done a few podcasts with a couple of trainers, and one of my good friends, Scott, is a, is a recruitment trainer, internal recruitment trainer, and, and, you know, it's really important to do that part of it. But what we seem to have is something very similar to Stalingrad in the Second World War, where we just throw as many people at something to solve a problem. The <laughs> um, six and see which one sticks yeah you know one guy and yeah two guys and one cv go guys go and get that and and it's like oh, which one's gonna win and and that's where it's it stemmed from and i see these companies closing down they last five six seven maybe ten years and millions of pounds well, can i was going to ask you that
1: do you think the reason people do it because people on the whole aren't stupid these shitty nefarious practices that are done are they done because they work surely they wouldn't do it if it wasn't yielding results
0: it i i i I don't doubt it does work i don't doubt it does work it does work and it does make money and you throw enough shit at the wall it will stick and that's the the point of it but what you then creating is an exacerbation of a problem later on that's my humble opinion um and and the, the quality deteriorates and the amount of people you could employ deteriorates over time you know the some of these companies have employed so many graduates and it's churned them out the other end. That the universities these graduates have come from have gone back to those universities and said, "Don't go work for this company." Um, yeah. And that that voice gets out there very quickly. But the worst thing you can do in the 21st century, 2020, right now, is start is being that company and continuing that company because we have now things like Google reviews, Glassdoor, Indeed reviews. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's exposing them. Massively yeah. exposing them. So, when you go for a job today, look at door Oh, look at that. There's 20, 30 people saying the same thing. I don't want that job. And these companies are closing down. So, I think as time goes on, we may start seeing a massive change in the industry towards quality and, and better looking after the staff and better methodologies of recruitment and better systems put in place. I think, and better managers as mm-hmm. well.
1: So, what feedback from a hiring manager perspective? I'm always fascinated what makes them tick what why would they pick me over a reed or a Hayes or a whoever robert half or all the big boys or yourself what what if i'm in their shoes do they give a shit like we do about how candidates are treated do they care about the poor practices or are they mostly just concerned about oh just get me another one of these quickly how do you find hiring managers have fed back to you about the whole process
0: um that's a good question actually um i mean in general most hiring managers care they 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 want to need it's in in the manufacturing engineering industry it's pretty split in black and white we need this person to do x y and z um if we got that person then the wheels will turn however there is a care A a nature of care within that at the same time that they've got to fit into their culture and into their team at the same time because some companies have really big personalities some companies don't have personalities and a big one will manipulate the system and and people Mm -hmm. don't like it so it's got to be the right kind of person into it when it comes to contractors that's permanent recruitment i find contractors is can they solve the problem yes right start tomorrow and that and and so there's a level of coldness to it but contractors you know there's been a contractor um it's favorable terms of business for the client so they can get rid of their contractor staff tomorrow and yeah and they do and they do exactly um the amount of contract i've had contracts projects cancelled on me you know i'm thinking that they're gonna last another 12 months or something like that it's
1: i've been at places (laughs) where i literally feel like i've been on a game show and just seeing people go left right and center i'm just not sure if it's your turn left and like being on survivor or something it's yeah it's crazy i've had another company that literally part of my remit and they were celebrating how many contractors i as a contractor how many i could get rid of each month and in a manager meeting every month they would call out oh we've managed to get rid of another two contractors this month yay and i was just sitting there one of the few remaining contractors (laughs) feeling slightly uncomfortable in that room but yeah it's a bizarre the way contractors get treated is is very bizarre in terms of we're still people you know (laughs) coming
0: back to actually talking about contractors now that we got ir35 coming that's all going to change isn't it do you you feel the change in the industry starting to? oh
1: yeah 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 i i'm glad in the sense that i'm not reliant if i still had the same situation where i had several thousand pounds of bills and dependencies every month i'd be shitting myself right now and probably depleted of everything but in terms of the roles, it, it just seems, and I suppose it's a time of year as well, it is not normally good as a, a contractor this time of year. But yeah, most that I'm, I'm seeing at the moment are just declaring outside R35, which for me is slightly baffling because I'm typically going for kind of interim roles or project manager roles where it's very deliverables based. Yeah. So I don't see how you could find a project manager who is doing a specific project for a finite deliverable or a finite period of time how that could possibly be, because it came in, I was um, head of infrastructure at university when it came in on the public sector and all of the engineers were told they'd be marked as inside and then they effectively, they went, now, nah, fuck you, and they were left. I was told I could no longer be head of infrastructure officially, but they would basically give me a, this is how into project management, uh, they would give me a project management title. Yeah. I would have no official line reports. I would have a specific deliverable, which was a data center migration, um, and, that's correct.
0: Yeah,
1: that's it. and I'd be marked as outside so I don't see why it's that much harder for the private sector to do the same like you just look at what the person's going to be doing are they correct. going to have line reports have they got a fixed place of work <laughs> a fixed hours of work <clears throat> do they have a line manager um, are they going to be doing BAU tasks it's, it's pretty obvious to see if you're a, a, a genuine employee or if you're actually serving a specific function that a contractor should yeah um so for me but yeah in terms of the ones i say about 80 percent i would say is are just being marked as inside a lot of recruiters are hiding it um, so they won't put it in the job ad um, a lot of them are calling it um you're going to need an umbrella some of them just put uh, via paye so they don't i think ir35 is becoming a bit of a taboo keyword to put in a job ad because yeah, it, yeah, it yeah. must obviously affect the applicants but yeah it's, it's it's a it's a difficult time at the moment and i think um it will probably settle down, I think, within six months because what happened at the university is three weeks later they realised they still needed them and they begged the same people to come back inside R35 but they bumped the day rate up a little bit. Yeah, it was just some um, of the banks have started
0: doing that, haven't they? They started. Yeah, and they've come back. Yeah, they, they, so, they got uh, rid of a load and they realised, oh, hang on a second, this is not working, let's get them back. And they go back at an extraordinary amount more money than they were on originally, which is...
1: Yeah, and it's yeah. stupid because... You can't compare like to like, because I did a, a little post on someone, because they were talking about, it's a big topic at the moment. And I was saying, you can't, so say I'm on 120 grand a year as a contractor. Yeah. You can't compare that to the national insurance and tax you'd claim as a permit person, because I wouldn't earn that. I would probably be on 70, 75 as a push, as a person doing the same role. Yeah. Um, so if you actually looked at the tax, I worked it out, you'd get about 900 quid more but then you've got the knock-on to the local community. I'm not going to use my accountant. I'm not going to use a lease car. Um, you know, I then can't claim back mileage or any expenses, so yeah. I'm actually poorer. Um, it's just, I don't think it's been well thought out. I think what they've done is, oh, somebody's on a hundred grand, they're going to pay way less tax than if somebody was on a hundred grand as a permit. But it's, it's not apples for apples. It never works like that. And also you can't easily sack that person. So as a project manager, Once you finish your project or the program's closed down, it could be six months before another program gets budgetary sign-off. That's it. You're sitting there costing them money. What they'll typically do is jog you on. And then when they do need somebody else, they'll get somebody else in.
2: Yeah, or call you up. Yeah, yeah. yeah, 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 or call you up
1: again. The (laughs) non-compete clause (laughs) allows. that aside. (laughs) Yeah, I don't think they understand the need for the flexible workforce. It's for finite pieces of work that... For ex- possibly for specialist skill sets. Yes. Um, and you need to have the flexibility that if the business suffers a downturn, the yeah. programme gets closed off unexpectedly. In the current paradigm that's moving towards this IR35 thing, you're going to have to keep that person on, even if there's no work. Otherwise, you're going to have employment tribunals. You can't just bin people off if they're per me. Um, and, and that's the other thing. There's, there's talk on the internet now of, well, if I'm going inside the 35 I need to be getting benefits I need to be getting sick pay I need to be getting annual well
0: leave. that's where the the uh, working time directive comes into play then after 12 weeks you should in theory get those benefits of a standard permanent employee um, mm-hmm. so there's a this well we're now leaving the EU I don't know how long that's gonna last um, so so it's it's there is rules and regulations put into place for that at this yeah. moment in time so yeah no you I agree with you so you know all the benefits the permanent employee has is you're, you're there temporarily beyond those 12 week points you should receive the same benefits as they do
1: yeah and even if you look at it and say okay mathematically they don't pay the same tax I don't think you should pay the same tax as a contractor because you've got a lot more risk you've got a lot more expenditure to cover your your small business you don't get sick pay. You don't get holiday pay. You don't get training. You don't get included in yes. staff away days. Yeah. You often don't get included in tea rounds and all petty shit that goes on in, in companies. Yeah. You are an yeah. outsider. You're treated like crap.
0: You're double taxed, you're taxed tax- anyway as a contractor, aren't
1: yeah. you? You're, you? You've you're got you're to pay lim- your call and, and your and as a director.
0: Yeah.
1: So, yeah so I, I don't yeah. think you should. But.
0: Yeah. I mean, 100 grand... You'll probably take 20 grand off that for corp tax, and then yep. you're probably going to take another, what, 30 grand off that for self assessment as well on top of that.
1: And I was thinking about it, you collect VAT for the government um, as well as if you're over a set of threshold. Yep. And I, I can't claim back a lot of VAT because I don't have a lot of expenses
2: to yeah. have VAT
1: on top. Yeah, so I give almost all of my VAT to the company. And a lot of companies that they, the source companies, like the housing association I worked at, couldn't claim back VAT. I think the financial services company couldn't for whatever reason. So all that VAT just goes to the government for no, there's, yeah. no, there's nothing for it. So I, I think they could end up with less money if you added in the VAT side of it as well. But Actually, yeah, yeah when you, know.
0: as, as you're a tax collector there, aren't you, paying your VT VAT, um, yeah, you're, There's, there's a huge just twenty percent again on top of that. That's missing. That will disappear. Yeah, forty
1: the... percent of what, what you come, what gets into your account, sort of gross, goes off to the government minus a few expenses. Yeah. Then you, you pay yourself a salary, typically minimum wage or just slightly higher, twelve grand for the sort of tax side of it. But yeah. But yeah, then you pay your pay and national insurance as a director. Yeah.
2: Um.
1: So yeah, I, I, I don't see why it was. I don't see how it's come about to me. It doesn't make and any sense. And also now,
0: the dividends ta- uh, um, uh, tax proportion has changed again. So you're paying more now on tax on dividends than ever used to be, but now you're paying more. So, th- so they're, yeah. getting, they're getting the money anyway. I don't understand mm-hmm. why, why the overreaction of it. But then there were companies, um, mostly the governmental ones, I found did this a lot, where they were a permanent member employee on the Friday, and then they came back on double the amount of money on the Monday as a limited company.
1: Uh, Um, and i
0: used to see that with the nhs i used to see that with social work as well (laughs) things to happen but i'm not too sure if that happens in the public sector in the private sector because i i don't think they will tolerate that however what they will they will miss is the flexibility of workers and that's the issue that's the issue there
1: so yeah. yeah and and from what i'm seeing i mean it might change as people get more desperate but most people that I'm seeing and hearing are avoiding the IR35 contract. So at the moment it's either they're going to go and temporarily get a perm role to the dust settles, or they're still trying to get those slightly rarer outside IR35 roles, which are or, going to get more competitive.
0: side of caution, go an umbrella. Is the, yeah. Is the, yeah. Yeah. I'm hearing that a lot more now,
1: by the way. So yeah, I don't think it's helped the industry. I mean, from my perspective, I'm initially focusing on perm. Um, there's a, I will eventually move into contract or don't get me wrong. If a big client came along and really wanted me to help out with some contracts, I'm not going to turn them away, but assuming that we're a good fit. But it, for me, there's a lot more overhead in terms of a contractor managing their monthly payroll yeah. and all that yeah. sort of stuff. So I, I as a sort of one man band, small business, just getting things going I, for me, I like the idea of the perm model, even if it's initially less, less money, um, or yeah. takes longer to find those sales. It's, it's a good
0: model. I, 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 I've done a few contractors over the last four years, um, but I've always kind of looked at it and went, right, I, I'm rather in the perm. I class them as projects. Um, I focus on them, whereas the contractor stuff is quite high maintenance. It is quite difficult, especially when you're on your own as a business. and the moment you start doing contracting start thinking about employing staff to help you out to do that because there's a lot of administration that needs to go with it and if you're going to use a factoring companies there's a lot of kind of support they can give you at the same time so yeah it's, def- it's definitely something to consider but people say if you want to sell your business later on in the future you're going to have a, um, a contractor kind of basis to put some value in your ba- in your business at the same time so there's that as well which is well i quite
1: liked your you were talking yesterday about um i don't know if it was a friend or a colleague and it sounded like they're kind of redefining what 360 recruitment would mean mm. so instead of it meaning you sell shit you manage the account and then you vet people mm. it would be more holistic and comprehensive so you'd actually be end-to-end with that client and you talk to them about their needs their yes. wants, identifying stuff you know before there's an actual role yes. you're going in there and you're actually working with them closely which I think actually leans in nicely to what you and I do, because we could actually go in and talk to a manager, a team leader, and and we would understand the type of thing they might need for their program or piece of work. You could start right there, instead of waiting passively for them to come to you and say, so that sounds like that might be a good way to go going forward. That would be a nice way of redefining what a 360 recruiter was.
0: Yeah, it's, add, it's, adding, exactly, it's adding that level of value to the process and taking what the client is doing extremely ser- serious and so not just taking a role, chucking an advert out, Getting a couple of CVs and slamming them forward. No, you're going in for the full life cycle. What's the role? Let me identify that with you. What do they gotta do? And then go through that whole process of right, how do we find these people? Where do we gonna go? What we're gonna do, yeah. how are you gonna offer it? And then and once you have found that person and and placed that person, then you know the, the onboarding part of it as well. And and being there, making sure that the the candidate sticks around after the first week and and they yeah. haven't walked away. But but also you know, being that sounding board. Um, helping that candidate and helping the manager understand that candidate was it's like the you know it's like dating it's almost being a a marriage counsellor in that sense then where you're trying to bring these two people together to to symbiotic work together and i think in some roles and some jobs out there you need that in some other jobs you know the manager and and the candidate probably don't speak that much day to day and they just give them the drawings or give them the work and off they go but some jobs you've got to have this synergy between them both so there's got to be i think there's someone's got to facilitate that sometimes
1: yeah and i and i think there's more to it than that because i think a lot of companies i've gone into people do resent contractors but it isn't just about the money you're being brought in as arguably a specialist but you're getting given all the fun work so all the people that have been there 10 years who would love to work on that project but for whatever reason haven't been the opportunity if you go in there and say look instead of getting This 500 a day or three or four, 500 a day contractors to come in and do all this nice work. Why don't we train up, get a consultancy in, they'll liaise with your existing staff to help shadow them on the project and we'll backfill. So the current BAU bullshit jobs they're doing, the backup checks, the monitoring, all the shit that people have to do as an IT professional, it's boring as fuck, but you have to do it. Yeah. Let's get them involved in the project. The morale of the team suddenly transforms. They no longer resent those people coming in. They're really grateful for the people coming in backfilling you take that piece of the project
0: of yeah yeah you do that in projects anyway don't you there's a, the, chunks of the project does get handed out to different places anyway as you're doing that project yeah. you know like you got your contractor team doing that you got a hr team dealing with the contracts for the, the legal side of it and you got a legality mm-hmm. part of it and and so the people do it why not take that whole recruitment bit i know we got rpos and we got master vendors and neutral vendors and all these type of stuff but why can't that just be one person you've just employed from your you know from a a small recruitment agency that can come in and just give you that over that umbrella feel to it or where right let me just take all these problems from you and let me deal with them for you just tell me what you want uh, at the Mm -hmm. same time and that's what i think most small businesses are now angling down the route of whereas the medium to larger size businesses are still doing that 360 feel um churn and burn kind of kind of direction with recruitment. And also when, yes. with the methodology we're talking about, you can then start looking at the retained model more rather than the contingency model more because you're giving value, yeah. adding real value that the, 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 the client, the end client can actually physically see and the candidate will feel that value as well from that process. And this is where you I've been trying to do it for four years. It's difficult to do because the industry is saturated and, and addicted to contingency recruitment. Um, and and it's fighting against that. Um, but it, like I said, I, I found one person that's doing it. I found actually a couple of people that's doing it, and, and they're doing really well from it. So I think there's a change. I think I think it's moving in this in this direction. It's like a juggernaut at the moment, slowly turning in this direction. So
1: how yeah. do you feel? Of, how do you tackle the PSL issue? So I've worked at a couple of organisations that say I wanted to bring you on and I absolutely love everything about you, what you do. Yeah, absolutely. bang on. Specifically definitely what I want. But in order to do business with you, I have to get you on the PSL. I have to go through procurement and go through their hoops and get everything ticked mm. off. There might even be a framework that I have to, to purchase your services through. Um, and I've actually been told at a couple of companies, um, is there another company on the current PSL you could use? Could you try this? Could you try that? And even then, for their benefit, they would procure the services through an existing provider. So it's a bit like you'd go through, say, Reed or Robert Half, and they would then pay you through. It's bizarre. Just for their own internal procurement processes, because it's a ball ache for them to add yeah. you. They would rather you went through an existing supplier, even if they were just pro- acting as a proxy. Yeah. How do you find that? Well, is it?
0: I mean, from my experience, there's there's about two, maybe three versions of a PSL. There's a HR lady with a spreadsheet picking agencies she likes to work yep. with. There's this, which is what I call the the um, the the HR PSL. I think is the best way to call it. A bit
1: more dynamic and fluid. That one. Uh,
0: not always. No, You're not on the <laughs> PSL. so we can't. You're gonna have to send us an application, and then you end up sending emails to them that don't get written. written. Red. but uh, that's what okay. they've asked probably her
1: Probably her brother in law's business or something that she used. So it it could
0: be, yeah, it could be. And, <laughs> and I get that. Those PSLs are um, detrimental to their business because yeah. a good recruiter will come along with a really good candidate. Oh, you're not on the PSL, sorry. Right, here's a quick story on this one. Had a great candidate, uh, worked in the Transformers industry, um, found a company. Um, that was uh, in the Transformers industry that I think they matched up I phoned up the gatekeeper the HR lady said sorry you're not on our PSL I can't take that candidate I kind of walked away with like tail between my legs thinking oh god but this guy's really really good do you know what I'm going to track down the managing director and I'm going to speak to him himself and uh, Mm -hmm. I tracked the managing director down sent him a quick email and within seconds of the email coming to me he said give me the candidate i want to see this candidate and we had a conversation on the phone and i said to him you do know i nearly walked away completely and you didn't have this candidate flash forward five years the guy's the sales director and he's improved sales in that business tenfold tenfold across the world
1: crazy
0: so sometimes i think there's a dis dis, dis uh, how can i put it a, a, a disregard to the importance of of sometimes agencies, I guess you need to vet them, you need to have good agencies on your, on your PSL, but also the person controlling that PSL needs to understand what quality looks like and why you as the hiring manager needs that agency for those candidates or for that service. And I think mm-hmm. sometimes if you hand it, and this is the other version, procurement, if you hand over recruitment to procurement, then how are they vetting quality? What does quality look like? You're, deal- you're not dealing with parts or bits and bobs, you're dealing with people, and relationships how do you vet Mm -hmm. that and the hiring manager is the only person in that process that can say yes or no to that so i think the power needs to be pushed back to the hiring manager and maybe they need to have a psl as long as they've got from the bosses you know your recruitment budget is one million this year you can't go over that then they can manage that and work with the right companies and the right recruiters across whatever genre and wherever people they want but I would say this to hiring managers learn how to breed terms and conditions because that's what procurement's good at His feet in terms of conditions <laughs> on that sense, so that's that's how that's my kind of feeling on it. I think they're necessary, I do think they are necessary to vet and control a process because there's a load of agencies out there that will try it on. Um, and terms, oh, yeah, of business, yeah. and terms of business as well is, is terrible, but learn how to read terms of business and learn how to be kind of questionable around those terms of businesses as well. But I do, you know, if I ever go to a client and they say there's a you know they've, they've picked me as the number one supplier and um, I'm working with them then I really hope they're not speaking to anyone else so I can but in order for me to make sure that doesn't happen I've got to do what I say so I've got to I've got to do the job and this is how sometimes PSLs are created where one agency doesn't do that all right we're going to vet the next load then or we're going to have several of them Um, but also on top of that um, PSLs can be detrimental because you chuck out a job to 10 companies 10 agencies What you'll find, especially if they know they're on a PSL, is they won't split that job into ten-tenths, and that's how much time they'll probably spend on that job because they know there's another agency on it. You'll get the one or two agencies that go, shit, let's get get on this, or they've luckily had the candidate to one side, but there's a very high chance that they're on the PSL just to feed their
1: ego more than anything.
0: Yeah, definitely, yeah. Mm.
1: So the massive elephant in the room, I think, today that – it's not specifically relevant, but I suppose it kind of is, uh, that we have to talk about, suppose, it's Brexit, it's Brexit day. Are you going to be yeah. celebrating? Are you just glad it's all over? Oh well, God. Not over. I mean, it's yeah. not over, is
0: it? But I, 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 we're going to end on this, by the way, Brexit. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. End on this. Because, um, I, I was a big remainer. I don't, I don't think Brexit was going to be good for us. However, I've not changed my mind. I'm just kind of glad it's finished now. I'm mm-hmm. kind of glad it's, it's come to a conclusion. I think it's, it's time now to stop it being a burden to us and start being this thing that they're telling us is an opportunity. So let's focus on this. This We can't change anything now. We've got to. I don't want to use the word we've got to accept because I still think there's a battle in the future that could be fought. Uh, yeah. But I think it's time to start realizing there's, let's, let's, let's do something about it. Let's make the best of a really bad situation and push on into the future and see what we get. There's no point being dwelling this negative and pushing down that route now any longer that we, we no. we're going to get
1: nothing from it what's your
0: thoughts what's your thoughts
1: so i'm kind of i almost feel like it's irrelevant now which way you voted i think you know we we all just need to get on with it i mean i i quite an anarchic type vote so i mean i have never ever had a vote go in my favor ever um i mean i did vote to leave um at the time um not for any kind of xenophobic reasons or immigration yeah. or anything like that i, I I still feel that there's, there's some positives around it. But mm. it, it, it's felt since then, I mean, there has been a lot of misinformation. It, it reminded me of giving someone a project that they are vehemently opposed to and then complaining when that project goes to shit. Um, I mean, it, the way in which it has been handled since the decision, whether you agree with it or not, has been so bad mm. that it's, it's like saying, oh, OK, look at this shit show, look how bad it's going to be. But they've made it bad. They could have made it a lot better, whether you agree with it or not. They could have handled it better. They needed a stronger person, I think, in the negotiations. I think she was very weak, Theresa May. Yeah, um, it's that
0: was the thing. That
1: was week. that
0: was one of the reasons why I voted Remain, by the way. It wasn't I wasn't swayed by this whole trade deal this and trade deal that and, and the EU is good mm-hmm. for this and good for that. I was more focused in upon the track record, not just of the government, but other governments too, and how bad they are in dealing with the EU. David Cameron was a perfect example of that when he came back with a bag of rubbish from that january talk that he had before the the brexit vote in in in, um in june of 2016 um and weirdly i set my business up that day what a worst year to set a business up i tell you um and and i kind of looked at it and i was on the fence for ages and i thought right okay i get what you're saying and i get what you're saying however do we trust the people in power right now to solve this and my answer was no emphatically no it was Mm -hmm. i don't trust them so that's why i voted remain the status quo was a better solution than uh, an unknown precedental kind of future that we had and and i hate to say this for the for three four years and even till now i I, i'm saying i told you so because it has been a shit show (laughs) it really has been the most extraordinary situation and we are worse off from it not not brexit itself but the actual process you know the market's deflated the confidence is at the all-time low and and people just don't know what their futures hold so it's, it's this is why i'm saying we need to now buck up move forward and start really kind of repairing the shit that the people above us have done and stop voting them in but yeah, that's a different story for another time i think
1: <laughs> yeah 100 percent. yeah no i agree it's the time to just pull up your, your socks get on with it and start making new deals and, and start making new ventures and things, you know. It's, there's no point dwelling on it, um, whether you agree with it or not. Like I say, my issue I never felt strongly one way or another at the beginning when I voted, I must say. Um, mm, but, yeah, you know, in terms of now looking back, I still would vote that way, I think, but I just I regret how it was handled then on. I just think if we'd have had a really strong, you know, hard nosed negotiator because we are in a strong position, in the UK, we're for the Great Britain, we are for an excellent economy we've got a lot to offer Europe yeah. and the world we, 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 we walked into it like we were beholden to them I think and I think going forward it if we can establish new trade deals um, and I think the reality is we're going to want to travel to the European countries European Union countries as much as they're going to want to travel to ours so after yeah. a period of time I'm sure there's going to be a provision made I, I, I agree order. I
0: agree there's this, this is going to be a moment in the next five to 10 years where it's going to come to some sort of normality And we're going to have, you know, we're going to be used to it. Um, We're going to have a few detrimental issues along the way. But I think generalistically speaking, it's going to reset itself um, back to normal. But it could have gone quicker had the Tory government of the time didn't throw away things like Theresa May in 2017, throwing away a majority vote that could have solved all the problems earlier on. So yeah. these issues and stuff that we're seeing now, uh, you know, you're got to reflect it back on the politicians. I'm sorry. It's not the people, no one's fault, not one human yeah. in, this, in this country's fault for where we are right now. It's yeah. it voted to how we believe it's the government's fault. And we need to focus on how do we change that into the future? And, uh, you know, it, whoever you voted for is really up to you. At
1: the end of the day. Yeah. and I, as I say, I still, don't, I, I don't, I think the way it was handled, I think was more important than the vote because I think if you're going to take on a project or a massive thing like this, and then do it so poorly that everybody yeah. gets so fed up with it, was it been three years, almost yeah. four years,
0: four years, yeah? You really, know, I think everybody
1: yeah. just thinks, fuck it, just take the deal, take whatever deal, you know, yeah. just put me out of my misery. I want to get on with my life and not have yeah. every news need filled with it, you know, and I think everybody's gonna be better off just by it not being in our conscious every night and every day thinking about it. so, yeah. you know, our businesses can focus on new trade deals and, and new yeah. so, and I think it gives you clarity as well as a business. I think a lot of possibly in your industry as well, more than mine in IT, I think people have probably been to an extent just waiting before they jump on certain things. So they've probably been holding back on things I think now so. hopefully. Yeah. So th- they can start going. Oh, actually, it's not as bad as we thought. Yeah. Fuck it. Let's start. Let's start businesses. Well, that's again.
0: that's the thing What businesses want is certainty. That's all businesses yeah. want. How much is it going to cost me to do this? And if I can work out how much that costs, then I can hire people. I can fire people. I can make changes and get more investment. I could do whatever I can. Businesses don't understand what's happening moving forward. Nothing happens, and that's the problem. Yeah. And, and and you know something happening is better than nothing happening, and they haven't been able to do something. So. Now that today, 11 o'clock today, we're going to be leaving the EU. I hope now everyone has some sort of clarity what's moving forward. It's certain it's going to happen. We're moving forward, um, so I hope it's going to change mindsets and thought processes of certain people now, and, and hopefully try to make a like I say, try and make a, a good thing out of a bad situation. Hopefully, so yeah,
1: definitely appreciate you having me on. It's been great. No worries, uh, Jamie. Thank
0: you for your time, mate. It's been an absolute <laughs> fun. It's been a, it's a good, good podcast because you're talking about a lot of things what people think about as well. So it's been a really good podcast. Yeah, so thanks. and I
1: hope anybody listening to get involved, just reach out, go on LinkedIn, follow the anti-recruitment uh, hashtag and the group and get involved. And like I said, collaborate, get involved, suggest ideas, be part of the solution. Brilliant. Take it easy, mate. Awesome. Speak awesome. to you soon. Thanks, mate. Bye-bye. Thanks, mate. Bye.
0: sometimes you do a podcast and it pulls it out of you pulls all your opinions out of you and that was a great one with jamie um spoke a few times uh before this podcast and and jamie has a lot of real strong opinions about the recruitment industry and i don't disagree with any of them he is on on point with a lot of them and i think a lot of people do agree with him um that certain things need to change but the, the candidate experience is the biggest issue here and coming jamie coming from a um a contractor perspective that's that's the bit that we really need to be aware of and i think that's the learn to take away from this is the candidate experience the hiring managing experience and how we fit as recruiters around that and what we can do ourselves to make that better because like i've said in that podcast if we don't do these things we become irrelevant very quickly And I've seen many companies close down for not being a lot better quality than what they currently are. So I hope you enjoyed that podcast and thank you for listening. Um, Hopefully soon we'll have another one coming. Take care. Bye-bye.